Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. How you guys doing? Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to the Nick Wilson Show. Sounds like a typical bastard. What's going on in Nick Wilson's mind? My mind is a raging torrent flooded with rivulets of thought. You're about to find out. Look who knows so much. Nick Wilson is on now. Radio 92.7 FNZ, welcome into a hump day, Nick Wilson show. I am the aforementioned Nick Wilson, itty bitty fitty with me behind the board as always. We got tons of things to talk about today. We've got our friend, your friend, everybody's friend, Stephen Ruiz, uh, Ringer NFL show podcast coming up at 11. We've got uh, five questions at 1240. The five burning questions I have for you today. Uh, that's going to be all over social media. At Nick Wilson says on Instagram and Twitter. And then at one, Ben Verlander of the Flippin' Bats podcast will be joining us. We'll get into uh, the Mets panic. We'll get into what was an interesting night uh, in baseball as it was. Also, we're halfway through Major League Baseball season. So plenty to get into today. But uh, we are officially 64 days until kickoff of the NFL season. And we've reached the point where I don't want summer to be over, but I also, my football Joneses are starting to kick up here. I really wish the makers of, of video games for the NFL and for college football, I really wish they would just get us the game earlier like i know they get uh madden usually is released late august not early enough for me i i need that bleep like now all right if if college football if the ncaa football game came back this year and it was released this weekend i would ignore my family for a full week just to get my football fix in so i just want to start what are you most excited about in the 2022 season it can be Panthers-related. It can be not be Panthers-related. It's really up to whatever the hell you are looking forward to this year. One thing I'm not looking forward to is how far, how, to seeing how far and how, how deep this Baker Mayfield-Jimmy Garoppolo situation can play out. You guys know, I have a firm, there's no news until there's news. If it's not a report... We're, I'm not going to be talking about it on this show about Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo because I've just had enough of non-reports. Like the idea that Baker Mayfield is still available, that's not a report. The idea that the Panthers might still have hypothetical interest in him is not a report. But what's been interesting is the, the Carolina Panthers have been seen as the front runner for either Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield. It just depends who's reporting it on what day they're reporting it. But what's interesting about that is the other team that is thought to be heavily invested in upgrading their quarterback position before the regular season is the Seattle Seahawks. So yesterday, Ian Rappaport was on the Pat McAfee show, and he gave an interesting side of things from the Seattle side of things as it comes to interest in Baker Mayfield. 
there's a couple of times a year when this happens where you get like an internet rumor that kind of takes on a life of its own. And believe me, like I always check and I've heard nothing to corroborate Baker to the Seahawks at all. And like, I don't know what's going to happen at the end of all this. Like maybe this guy announces he's trolling us, but like, it seems crazy to me, but they have never really been that interested in Baker. Like what they have wanted is a Drew Locke v. Geno Smith battle. And like talking about like training camp, like training camps could be a grind and like sometimes not that exciting despite football being back. That is going to be a fascinating training camp because we are going to see them like literally battle out on the field. And I don't know which way it's going to go. It seems like Gino has a little bit of a leg up now, but that's okay. going to be a fun battle. So I think it's important to note. I don't think it's as much about Seattle not having interest in Baker Mayfield. As a matter of fact, I think there are plenty of teams beyond Carolina that would have some interest in Baker Mayfield, whether that's as a backup or whether it's as somebody to throw into the fray as a starter. I think this is about Seattle is incredibly self-aware. John Schneider's a good GM. Pete Carroll, for all his foibles, for all of his hippy-dippy madness, is a smart guy, and they know exactly who they are. Baker Mayfield is not going to make a bit of difference in Seattle. Actually, that's wrong. Baker Mayfield would make the wrong difference in Seattle. Because right now, what that what those guys need in Seattle is they're trying to sell a fight. They're trying to sell a locker room that they've got two guys that could hypothetically start week one. And Geno Smith and Drew Locke are equal parts awful. They're different kinds of awful, meaning they're, they're different style of quarterbacks. But, like, they're both crap. Neither of them should be starting in, in the NFL. Neither of them should be the favorite to start for an NFL team. And if Carolina, or sorry, if Seattle traded for Baker Mayfield tomorrow, he would make them too good to suck. Now, if that's the difference between three wins and six wins or four wins and nine wins, who the hell knows? But they know Baker Mayfield is the kind of player who wouldn't necessarily get them to a Super Bowl in and of himself. But he'd do a hell of a lot more to win games than Geno Smith. And who's the other schmuck? Oh, Drew Locke. So Seattle, their lack of interest in Baker Mayfield makes incredible amount of sense. Pete Carroll, by the way, I could I could honestly see Pete Carroll having one more year in the job, this thing going to the tank because their roster is crap. And Pete Carroll just being like, all right, guys, I've collected my hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm now going off to some hippy-dippy retirement nudist camp. God, can you imagine the retirement community that Pete Carroll would want? No clothes, all weed. That's the Pete Carroll retirement camp. Or is it a retirement camp? I don't know. Retirement community, that's what I was looking for. It makes, it's Seattle has never made sense to me for Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo. They're not going to try and win. And it's interesting. Today we're going to get into, with 64 days into the NFL season kicking off, well, at some point today's show, we're going to get into teams that intrigue us. And the more I peruse the NFL, the more I realize how, how the NFL is vacant of a lot of teams that just flat out suck. Like, there are teams that might end up sucking this year. Jacksonville, a team that has had the number one pick the last two years. But Trevor Lawrence can be special. They finally have a head coach who isn't fondling women in his free time. And I think Doug Peterson and, and Trevor Lawrence could help Jacksonville surprise this year. Houston, probably not going to be great. But, like, 
Davis Mills really looked good at points last year. I don't think Davis Mills is selling a fight. Davis Mills in Houston isn't Geno Smith and Drew Locke in Seattle. There are two teams that I think will unequivocally, without any doubt in my mind, just out and out be god-awful this year. And I'm basing this on paper talent. It's Seattle and it's Atlanta. Now, on the opposite side, there's about 10 teams that I think can win a title this year. Most of them are in the AFC. But from the 11th team to the 29th team, somewhere in there falls the rest of the NFL. And I think that's incredibly intriguing. And I think right now, I who had it? Pro Football Focus had the Panthers ranked uh, 27th in the NFL in their power rankings. And again, July power rankings are the death of us all. There's no real fact or theory behind it. And even with pro football focus, there's a lot of BS on that because it's about what's on paper instead of what's going to be on the field. Right now, I'd probably agree with them because your quarterback is awful and I don't know what you have in head coach. Nobody knows what you have in Matt Rule as a head coach yet. Here are the things that I do know, though. Carolina, outside of the quarterback, has one of the best rosters in the NFL. Here's another thing that I know with 64 days until the NFL season. Cleveland is screwing Baker Mayfield. Whether it's they're screwing Baker Mayfield because they're waiting for Deshaun Watson ruling and Pro Football Talk had a report saying a settlement between uh, the NFL and Deshaun Watson could happen at any time. Which, by the way, total non-report. That's just somebody saying something that's really obvious. I, the most likely thing that's going to happen is Sue Robinson's going to make her ruling. Either Deshaun Watson can cannot be suspended or she'll give a specific recommendation and then we'll go from there. But hypothetically, yes, at any point, the NFL and Deshaun Watson could reach an agreement. But part of me wonders, is Cleveland just screwing Baker Mayfield? Because they realize if Deshaun Watson gets 17 or more games, Baker's their best hope at quarterback. I think that's a fair thing. The other part of this, it just feels like Cleveland and the Browns organization has taken uh, the Baker Mayfield situation personally. Because if it was anybody else, if it was any other quarterback in the NFL who wasn't on progressive commercials, who wasn't a guy who said what he thought, if it wasn't um, woke up feeling dangerous, the rest of the NFL media would be beside themselves. Why an organization who has no interest in extending said quarterback long term, who has no interest in actually seeing that guy play for them this year, why he's still on the roster in July? He has no long-term future in Cleveland. He has no intermediate future in Cleveland. Is some of this about the Deshaun Watson situation? Yeah. I'm sure it is. I'm sure that's that's the ground fire that makes Cleveland not look completely awful in this. But the reality is the Cleveland Browns organization is being petty towards Baker Mayfield. They've been petty in, in having an arrogantly high demand for Baker Mayfield and what they're going to get in return or how much money they're going to pay him. If any other quarterback that two years ago led an organization to their first playoff win since 1995, since the days of Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, if any other team in the NFL and any other quarterback that had led them to the playoffs two years ago, where just it, it was a logical point to part, if any other team, any other quarterback did this, it would be 
that team would be roasted over the coals and skewered. And some of this is people are too busy skewering the Browns for trading for Deshaun Watson in the first place. Get it. But the Cleveland Browns are screwing Baker Mayfield. And it does beg the question, are we reaching the point of no return for adding a quarterback? Because I don't know that trading for Baker Mayfield, the first week of training camp, I'm about putting people in a position to succeed. Giving Matt Rule a fat $63 million contract and all the power that he wanted, inevitably, I think we can see Matt Rule's learning curve in the NFL has hurt him considerably and it's hurt the Carolina Panthers as well. And unfortunately, Matt Rule, it took him about two, two or three years to learn the importance of the quarterback position in the NFL. Not sure if he just didn't watch the NFL, not sure if he's new to football, not sure if he was focusing on punting and kicking, but the learning curve, Matt Rule was not put in a position to succeed two years ago. Because Dave Tepper was too focused on seducing Matt Rule, landing the guy he wanted. He was blinded by blinded from logic on how to help Matt Rule succeed. I don't know, Cleveland, Carolina, Seattle, Atlanta, wherever Baker Mayfield. And I feel the same way about Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know any of those guys are being put in a position to succeed. If you trade for them, week one of training camp. I don't know that it's as simple as July 15th is drop dead day. Josina Anderson was talking about the Seattle report and there was a lot of conversations there that, you know, today could be a big day. I don't know. Uh, we've been we've been teased with that forever. But from the Carolina side of things, if you really want your quarterbacks to succeed this year, the sooner you pull the trigger, the better for that player to have a real chance to make an impact this year. Every day you wait, that guy's two days behind. It takes a lot to become the quarterback. It's not just about on the field learning a playbook. It is about learning a locker room. It is about building bonds. It is about building on-field rapport with your wide receivers. We, are, we have not yet reached the point of no return on adding a new quarterback. But we're getting pretty damn close. Jimmy Garoppolo, it's a little different because Jimmy's got the shoulder injury. Jimmy might not even be ready till training camp. Baker Mayfield, he's healthy. He's ready to go. What the hell are we waiting for? Especially if it turns out that Seattle isn't interested, as Ian Rappaport reported yesterday on the Pat McAfee Show. 704-570-9610. Hit us up on the Garage Door Guru text line. Also want to hear from you guys at Nick Wilson says on Twitter and on the Instagram. Slide into them DMs on the Instagram today. But we've got our friend, your friend, everybody's friend, Stephen Ruiz at 11. We've got the five questions at 1240 and then at 1 of the Flippin' Bats podcast. It is Ben Verlander. I'll ask you guys to start the show. Have we reached the point of no return in Carolina of adding a new quarterback? If not, when is the point of no return and summer league hype? And all its hilarity next on Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ. Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ. Welcome back to the Nick Wilson Show. We got uh, plenty to come up here in today's show. Coming up in about 40 minutes, we're going to be joined by Steven Ruiz with 64 days until the NFL season kicks off. We'll ask him what he's looking forward to most. That's a question. Well, I know we just talked about the Baker situation and how 
there was a report Seattle's not interested in him, and then Josine Anderson that said that's not true. Uh, who the hell knows? At some point, at some point, the Panthers need to address the quarterback position, but I do believe in such a thing as point of no return. If the Panthers had a different quarterback right now, I would be so jazzed up for the se this season this year because I think the team is ready. But I'll ask you guys, on top of the, the quarterback conversation we're just having, what are you most looking forward to now that we are 64 days away from the NFL season kicking off? In the meantime, while we've got uh, a lack of hype in Carolina, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, watching social media can be fun, right? Uh, by and large, ignorant people have ruined social media. Right now, granted, social media was just a whole time suck and basically just a, a tool for procrastinators across the world in the first place. Although it did help me get a couple of girlfriends in my life, so I can't really complain that much. Thank you, MySpace, Tom. You're my, my bestie. But like social media, at one point, there, there are definitive eras where before old people got on Facebook, Facebook was a lot of fun, right? Uh, before too many people joined Twitter and uh, things got both way too racist and way too woke. But the extremes ruined Twitter. One extreme ruined Facebook. Both extremes ruined Twitter. I'm not sure about TikTok because I'm old. But I'm just telling you. By and large, social media is a godless, endless nightmare. But occasionally... Occasionally, you get something worth paying attention to. And last night, during the Summer League action, OKC, here's how much I've researched what actually happened on the court. I don't know who Oklahoma City Thunder's Summer League team was playing. I don't care. I, I could have easily found this out. I've got Google, too. I could easily be giving you the details of this game. What I know is Chet Holmgren had six blocks last night. And what I know is that NBA Twitter needs a new pair of shorts this morning. Because they were in their feelings about Chet Holmgren over a summer league game. It's one summer league game. And I got worldwide wob. Rob Perez going after Mark Few and Gonzaga. I've got people proclaiming Chet Holmgren as the next Kevin Durant after one summer league game. And here's the thing, guys. It used to be like like five years ago when this stuff would happen, I'd get I'd be really annoyed. I'd be really annoyed because it's hyperbolic, it doesn't really mean anything, and it's just reacting, it's just saying crap to say crap. And it's funny because sports talk radio has been ruined by guys who say crap just to say crap. I have never said something on the air that I don't believe. And I've never said something on the air that to some way I can't defend. But there's a lot of guys who want to be Skip and Shannon and just say the dumbest friggin' things on, on TV or on Sports Talk Radio. And we get hammered for it. Sports Talk in general gets hammered for it. There's people who think they're above Sports Talk. And you know who they are? They're people in NBA Twitter who then go on Twitter uh, at 9 o'clock on a uh, what was that? Tuesday night in July. And like, is Chet Holmgren here to save the NBA? I love it. Give me more of it. Give me more of everybody's social media hypocrisy on Chet Holmgren. Until proven otherwise, he's still son of Slenderman. 
He's like Slender Man got together with Minute Bull's mom and made a child. He is incredibly tall. He is incredibly thin. And he just does not. When he. All right. When he plays basketball, he looks kind of athletic. I give him credit for that. But Chet Holmgren. When you just watch him walk. Like there are certain people that just. Uh, the way they move when they're not running around. Just do not look athletic. Chet Holmgren looks like Ricky Bobby in Talladega Nights. He's not sure what to do with his arms. I don't know how his his arms are too long. He's like either got to put them at the, his midsection, at which he looks like he's built like a bunch of triangles, or he's got to put them down by his uh, his sides, at which point he just looks like a stick. Like if I threw Chet Holmgren in front of Valerie, the dog we took uh, this weekend from uh, Karen Control here in Charlotte. By the way, she's still available if you want her. If I threw Chet Holmgren six feet, Valerie would pick him up and bring him back to me. That's what Chet Holmgren looks like when his arms are to his side. Are you watching the Summer League? Because the only thing I can watch, this actually is probably going to come up in our five key questions. The only thing I'm watching during Summer League is I'll have the game on in the background. More importantly, I just love Summer League overreaction. Kai Jones has been balling out. Kai Jones is now Michael Jordan's heir apparent. Right? Kai Jones makes LaMelo Ball look like Jeff McGinnis. That's that's what Kai Jones is doing in the Summer League. Are you paying attention to this? And I actually, it's funny. We had Dan Favalli on yesterday. And he talked about the remaining dominoes that could fall this this offseason, including what dominoes could be related to the Kevin Durant domino. And I think Hornets fans are going to like this. Once this Kevin Durant domino falls, I might expect them to try and be involved um, in a Miles Turner acquisition if he's not moved as part of that deal, where a lot of three-team scenarios being floated around include Aiton going to Indiana, Turner going somewhere else, um, and so on and so forth. So it's pertinent when talking about Kai Jones to understanding his relationship to a potential Miles Turner deal. I don't know if the organization made this decision. I don't know if it's where they were leaning and thinking about with Kai Jones the whole time. They've been playing Kai Jones a lot at the four. And there's been a thought process that he might be, uh, whether it's a hybrid big, uh, you know, a guy who can play a little bit on the wing, whatever the thought press process is on him is, he might be wasted at the stretch five at the rim running big role. If that's true, all of a sudden, if they if they see him more as a hybrid big slash wing kind of positionless big slash wing guy, if that and, and instead of just a true rim running big. If that's true, and I think that's as much predicated on his 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 skill developing, his handle, his ability to facilitate, his scoring ability, but I think that's more about his offensive profile than it is about his defensive profile. If it's true, I'm going to give you two reasons why I love it. One, I think you're seeing Cleveland was one of the best teams through the first 60 games of last year because while everybody else went small, they went huge. They had three. They had three bigs. In, they had three six ten or bigger bigs in the lineup at almost every moment. Right? It was Larry Markkinen. It was Evan Mobley. It was Jarrett uh, Allen. And oh, by the way, they then had Dean Wade and Kevin Love, two six six ten guys coming off the bench, and they were impossible to stop. They it it reinvented Kevin Love, quite frankly. Minnesota has copied that 
with Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. They don't have the depth of bigs that Cleveland has, but Minnesota's very much copying that idea uh, this year. If you're telling me you could run out a lineup where Mark Williams and Kai Jones both offensively make sense together and defensively make sense together, oh, and by the way, you've got a six foot eight point guard. That is that is a you can play a style of ball that not too many teams in the NBA can play. Color me intrigued with the idea of Kai Jones playing the four. I don't know, and I don't know five years down the road that's where it'll be. Again, skill skill playing development. But the reason why it matters to a Miles Turner trade is I'm not giving up Kai Jones or James Booknight. One, James Booknight's stock is about as low as it can get right now. Missing the summer league and whatever the issues were at UConn last year. The NBA is a perception league, and the perception is James Booknight's incredibly immature, and you're not, you're not, you're gonna, he's a penny stock right now in the NBA. Kai Jones, I, I think he's the perfect profile of a guy that's going to surprise everybody in the NBA. He is tall, he is athletic, he is uh, long, he is, he's got more skill than I think people realize, and I actually think. Kai's going to help you trade for Miles Turner. But I think he's going to do so by making P.J. Washington expendable. If Kai Jones and Jalen McDaniels can backfill those minutes from P.J. in that whatever you want to call them, stretch five, there's it's, it's, a, it's an exhausting way to try and have a conversation about any individual big in the NBA today. I think Kai Jones and McDaniels could easily backfill P.J. I also think P.J. is incredibly underrated, by the way, but that's for another day. But if you said right now you can have Kai Jones and McDaniels in prominent roles in Miles Turner's your starting center, or you can have P.J. holding back your young, bigger forwards, your longer athletic forwards, if all I'm giving up is P.J. and that Denver pick, I am beyond intrigued. I, th- I think this could really work out for a team that is, you know, Mitch Kupchak has gone to painstaking lengths to try and make sure everybody fits together. You add Miles Turner to this this team with his ability to stretch the the, the field, uh, stretch the court, while also being one of the two or three best rim protectors in the NBA. And oh, in a couple lineups, you're going to throw Kai Jones out there. You're going to throw McDaniel's out there. I'm I'm incredibly intrigued by what that would mean. And oh, by the way, a couple years down the road, Mark Williams should be able to take over as your full-time starting center. So it works now, and it works then. Is it a risk if you trade PJ and we're assuming Kai is ready for that role? Yes. But I think the bigger risk is to go in to the NBA season with Mark Williams and Mason Plumley as your starting centers. And those two guys not being able to fulfill the individual roles that they can have. Good players. If Mason was your backup, if it was Mason and Miles and then Kai was your, uh, or or sorry, if it was uh, Mark Williams and Miles Turner, I think that's a really intriguing rim-running duo. If if Mark Williams hadn't been drafted and it was Mason and Miles, really intriguing rim-running duo. So Chet Holmgren having one good game uh, in OKC, six blocks, historic, historic summer league performance, doesn't do much for me. But what we're hearing about how the Hornets 
view Kai or what they think he can do, that to me is really intriguing. That to me matters more than any individual summer league performance. Outside of guys just playing. I didn't I, I wouldn't have cared like with the James Booknight thing. I wouldn't have cared if James Booknight played 40 minutes a night in the summer league and averaged 50 points a game or if he had you know played 20 minutes a night and and only you know whatever. The bigger issue to me is not how they look when they play, it's that they play. Court time both in practice and in the summer league and in games is just invaluable. Booknight has just not had enough. I Again, penny stocks, so there's no way in hell I'm trading him. I'm also worried that, you know, Steve Clifford struggled with with bringing Malik Monk up to snuff and up to professionalism levels. I'm worried about what that means for book night. I'm more worried about this kid missing the summer league. A year later, a year ago, I was pretty sure James Booknight was ready to step into the role of Malik Monk off the bench. It didn't come to fruition. They signed Kelly Oubre, and what happened has happened. And I thought Kai Jones we'd talk about in a year. A year later, I'm ready to talk more about Kai Jones, and I'm holding my breath with James Booknight. 704-570-9610. Let me hear from you guys on the Garage Door Guru text line, and at Nick Wilson says... How much summer league are you watching? But more importantly, are you comfortable trading PJ to upgrade at center, get Miles Turner? If it's only PJ and that Denver pick for next year for Miles Turner, are you comfortable doing that? Or do you need to see something out of Kai Jones before you're ready to move on from PJ, who's kind of your four or five stretch, whatever the hell you want to call him? With that, we got more to get into. The latest on realignment and why it isn't just necessary in college football. Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ. Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ. 20 minutes out. Steven Ruiz of The Ringer. He's going to join us with 64 days until NFL season. We'll get what he's most excited about. We'll also get his thoughts on the latest on uh, the Baker Mayfield situations, the Jimmy Garoppolo situations. I just, it's so rare that the NFL has uh, where their news cycle peters out and the two or three remaining stories are just unbearable. That's where we've reached with Baker and Jimmy. But we'll get to that in about 20 minutes here. In the meantime, um, I'm just going to go ahead and, and say right now, the latest, uh, and there's a lot. We'll get into the true latest in college athletics realignment here in today's show. Uh but the latest report, one of the latest reports, is that Dennis Dodd says the ACC and Pac-12 have, have discussed a loose partnership, uh, and, and it could end up with teams playing a championship game. Now, I don't believe that this is a real option at this moment, because I think the ACC, or I think the Pac-12, more importantly, is just trying not to be absor like absorbed by the Big 12. I think everything the, the Pac-12 is doing right now is to maintain negotiating power with the Big 12 because I think at some point those two leagues are most likely going to merge. And at at worst for the Pac-12, I think, I think the Big 12 is going to raid them, which probably should happen. The Pac-12 was never a good uh, football conference. It's not always been a good basketball conference. 
and the Pac-12 leftovers, if if the Big 12 can get Oregon and Washington, might be enough to just raise their profile. And who knows? Maybe that emboldens them to then go take a run at Clemson and Florida State and Miami and North Carolina and all the premier programs of this conference. If it is true, though, the idea of a loose partnership between the ACC and Pac-12, two of the Power Five conferences with the least leverage right now, like the ACC is just waiting for the Notre Dame axe to fall. If 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 it falls for them, they're going to have to sell their soul to keep Notre Dame in the conference. If it falls against them, there's going to be every conference is going to make a run on programs in this in this area, in this region, in this conference. So that's the latest. We're one of the latest details on conference realignment, but. I did stumble across a NFL division realignment based off, it, it's claiming it's based off of ge, uh, geographical proximity. It's not perfect. It's up at, at Nick Wilson says right now. And it, it brought to mind that I actually would love, this is where my sports nerddom really comes out. I would really love to be put in charge of realignment in sports in totality. Like, Professional leagues, to me, should be based predominantly on geographical location. College athletics, to me, it's a lot a lot more about individual rivalries. It's a lot more about um, brand awareness. That's kind of what we're seeing right now. Brand power, how much money's in your program. But when it comes to the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball, and I'll go to, I'll go to baseball straight away. Toronto and Cleveland are closer to each other than Toronto is to New York City. It's close, but but it is, and it's certainly a, a, a quicker drive to Cleveland than it is to Boston from Toronto. It drives me crazy. Cleveland and Toronto are not in the same division. It drives me crazy that Cleveland, Toronto, and Detroit are not in the same division. The great the 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 Lake Erie rivalry should absolutely be a thing. So I want so that is one example of realignment I would like to see elsewhere in sports. I'll ask you guys, though, and I'm going to bring itty-bitty fitty on this. Uh, it can be college football. It can be college basketball. It can be the professional sports. What other realignment moves would you like to see in sports? Because I didn't, as radical as it is, the graphic that I sent out, which is it's loosely based on geographical proximity, it has the the Panthers in the AFC South. With Jacksonville, Miami, and Tampa. Now, I don't. I think the Panthers and Carolina and Atlanta should be in the same division. But I also think Carolina and Jacksonville would be a really, really, really fun rivalry, considering the two teams when they came to the NFL. Considering how similar I think Carolina and Jacksonville are. They're two laid-back southern towns that are much better sports towns than they're given credit for. Jacksonville is a crap hole to live in. You ever seen the Jacksonville fans? You see what they did at the end of this last year with the clown show movement to embarrass Shad Khan? That is a tried-and-true, ridiculous sports fan base in Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville and Carolina, I think the fans would have a fun rivalry there. So that is one. If I was reorganizing the NFL... The, the two teams I would want in a division with the Carolina Panthers would be Atlanta, because bleep Atlanta, and I'd like to shove it in their face every chance I get it, and two would be Jacksonville. Itty-bitty-fitty. 
not just NFL based, but if you could realign any sport or any league, where do, where does realignment start for you? Uh, I'd, I'd relegate the Knicks to the G League, take them out of the NBA altogether. Um, That's cheap. It's against your own team, so I'll allow it, but that was cheap. Because you, you, you took away the NFL one off the bat. What's that? I'd love to see the Cowboys and the NFC, in the NFC South. So, it, so in your, who would you want to see in the NFC South with the Dallas Cowboys? It'd be the Panthers, the Saints, and the Falcons. Is it just because that would be a pretty easy division to win? Yeah. So, all right. I don't know that I would necessarily Carolina and Dallas in the same division. I don't know because because Carolina and Washington are closer. I feel like that's a logical fit if you were going to start building a conference around specifically the Panthers. But I do think there's something to be said about. I think it would be really smart for the NFL to realign divisions and still maintain those great rivalries. Like, there's no reason. You're the NFL. You're the most powerful entity in the NFL. If the ACC can have three rivalries that are set in stone that are beyond just you're in the same division or in the same conference together, you could do that in the NFL, right? You could say, all right, every year you're going to play your division, uh, every team in your division twice. Oh, and you're going to play at least one game against a historical rivalry. Here are your three or four historical rivals. I, I've also thought like to make and, and like with with New York having you know they, they've had two teams in both sports forever. Mm-hmm. There is that natural rivalry, but like in Texas, like the the Texas and the Cowboys has never been a rivalry because they don't play enough. In uh-huh. L.A., the Rams and the Chargers will never be a rivalry because they don't play enough. Put also, because nobody cares enough about football in L.A. Like, like put those teams on the same side. That I don't way, hate that. Because, like, you have it with the Lakers and the Clippers. It's really not that much of a rivalry. Yeah, like, if you built an NFC South, actually, this is kind of what uh, the, this, this, this gift did. We're talking about realignment beyond just college football. If you could, what, what types of realignment would you like to see across any of your favorite sports leagues? In, in this gift that I put up, or meme, excuse me, at Nick Wilson says, has Dallas, New Orleans, and Houston in the same division? That, that works out quite a bit. The only thing that I think is the outlier is, is probably Atlanta. If you could put, if, all right, what would be the fourth team there? Because you're the, you're the Cowboys, Honk. Would you rather face not, what would be a better rival, Atlanta or Tampa Bay? Like today, the easy answer would be Tampa Bay. I think, I think over time, may, maybe Atlanta. Because like they're both just average NFL towns where like when their team's good, they'll support them. But like Atlanta's a brave city before it's 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 a Falcon city. Tampa Bay it is a bandwagoner and an old and an old people home uh sports city. Yeah, there are there are no good floor. This is a, I actually think you could make a case from professional sports cuz college sports is a little different. There are no good professional sports towns in in Florida except for maybe Jacksonville. Jacksonville's love of the Jaguars is pretty strong. Miami Dolphins fans, Miami baseball fans, trash. Comparative to the amount of people in that town, trash. Tampa Bay is a god-awful. Like, they they really only show up to, to Tampa Bay when, uh, or in Tampa Bay sports, when the Buccaneers are great. Not good, but great. And the Tampa Bay Rays could win a World Series and it wouldn't make a dent in Tampa Bay. Orlando, don't even get me started. Orlando... 
basically only has an NBA team because of uh, of Disney World. It's the same reason why if if legalized gambling, if if Vegas wasn't the hub of gambling in the world in the United States, Vegas wouldn't have a friggin uh, one single team, let alone multiple teams. Same thing, but with Mickey Mouse for Orlando. That might be a hot take. 704-570-9610. So, the world of college football is, and college athletics in general is up in arms. And there is so much going on with, with uh, realignment, with teams jumping conferences. What other realignment moves would you like to see in sports? From the NFL side of things, I would, there is something to be said, I and I feel the same way about uh, baseball as well. Put all the New York teams and Boston teams and all that crap, put them in the same division. No, no. Why? No. It's because you know you would be second fiddle to the Yankees. We're always going to be second fiddle to the Yankees. They need to be on separate sides. Why? Because, okay. You do realize that it's it's not consistent to say the Giants and Jets should be in the same division and then go to another sport and say Yankees and Mets should be in a in the in separate divisions. No, no, because if you see, had you listened, I had said that for New York because they, it's been that they've they've always had two teams. There's always been that natural rivalry because uh-huh. they've always had those two teams. Where like, in, why, why isn't that the same thing with the Mets and Yankees? Because for forty for fifty years they've had two teams. But there's a natural rivalry between our two fan bases. I'm so confused. How is one thing true so for like, the Jets and Giants, but it's not true for the no, Mets? No, it is. Well, like, so what I said, like with, with Texas, with having two teams, it's not a natural. Like They've tried to make it a rivalry, but they don't play enough for it to be a rivalry. With those teams in New York, they always play each other, whether it's in the preseason or because the Jets and Giants both suck. So the Mets and, and Yankees always, haven't played enough? No, they've played plenty of times. Uh, all right, you lost me, but I, I, I at least I, appreciate I know that one my, of your points. I know that my analysis... Is way above your it's brain threshold. My, it's my beyond my comprehension. I can't I can't fathom <laughs> you're, what you're, you're still recovering from me bombing Britain again yesterday. I'll be I'll be like two hours two hours after the show. I'll be driving and I'll have to pull off to the side of the road because I'll just galaxy brain. It'll make sense. It's like the movie Interstellar. You sit there at the end and you just kind of sit in silence for thirty minutes after the movie ends because it just galaxy brains you. That's what it'll be like with your Mets, Yankees, Giants, Jets take. Like my biggest thing, if I could ever realign sports. Sports, is I would put old sports teams back in their homes. Uh, the Nationals would be back in Montreal. The Grizzlies well, would be back. That's in, relocation. That's not realignment. Uh, whatever. I just I put <laughs> all of those teams back where they belong. The Grizzlies would be back in Vancouver. Seven zero four five seven zero ninety six ten. The question for you guys is uh, with conference realignment going. To ridiculous levels in in college athletics there. What other realignment moves would you like to see in sports? You can also check out uh, the meme that I tweeted out earlier with the NFL realignment based off uh, geographical location. uh, At Nick Wilson says, however, we'll ask that question to Stephen Ruiz of the NFL's Ringer Show next on Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ.